This episode of Little Bit of Life podcast is sponsored by Belief Statements. Inspired by founder Abby Skeens with her own struggle with self-doubt, the 100% woman-owned and operated company champions a daily empowerment ritual using their mugs, journals, and hand-poured candles, which feature one of the six unique words designed to overcome limiting beliefs. You select your word of belief, and they put it in black and white. At Belief Statements, they believe in the truth of who you already are. They have a new unstoppable collection, and the belief is to kick off your empowerment journey. Grab your mug, journal, and candle today to remember that you are unstoppable in the face of any challenge. Head on over to their website at www.beliefstatements.com shop, or make sure to visit their Instagram and Facebook pages to grab yours today. And for today's very special listeners, use code WELCOME10 for 10% off at checkout. I am absolutely in love with their Unstoppable collection. I have the journal, and it is incredible, incredible to grab a notebook, get that empowerment out, get rid of that self-doubt, and really feel the daily empowerment. I wake up every morning and write all of my empowering words, and I release the negativity and the self-doubt and my own challenges. From picking up the incredible journal, seeing those clear and empty pages where I can be my true self, and seeing that black and white word on the front that says unstoppable in bold, there is nothing that I cannot overcome. Again, make sure you order today at www.beliefstatements.com shop. And for today's listeners, use code WELCOME10 for 10% off at checkout. Remember, you are unstoppable and there is nothing that you cannot overcome. Do not limit your beliefs, keep your strength, and in black and white, know that you are unstoppable. Welcome to the Little Bit of Life podcast. I'm your host, Tabitha, better known as Little. You may think you know me from social media, but Little is shown off the apps. That's until now. This podcast is dedicated to having those real, raw, and occasional chats together about what we seem to think, but don't say. Special guests will join me that have impacted me along the way. Nothing is off limits. Sit back, take time for yourself. You've earned it, and enjoy today's topic. One voice, one story at a time. Let's dive in together. Hey guys, welcome into a very special episode, a little bit of life podcast right here with your host, Little. April 10th of 2023. Do you know where you were on that date? Probably not. But for today's very special guest, Mariah, this day changed the rest of her life. She was in her home on April 10th of 2023. She was happy with her children. She was just about to close on her house to be independent. After finalizing a divorce with her ex-husband that was narcissistic, controlling, and she just felt she finally had her freedom and her chance at happiness. But on April 10th of 2023, her ex-husband came into their home violently caused a traumatic experience. And for today's episode, I want you to truly listen to Mariah's story. Please be aware that this episode may cause triggers as we go into full detail about what happened to her on April 10th of 2023 and her children. 
However, with this and true crime stories, I am so grateful and honored that the guests come on and share these stories with you. However, it does bring grief, trauma, sadness, and it reopens the healing wound for the guests. Again, please be aware that today's episode does come with triggers as we are going into full detail about what happened to Mariah's life. If you are listening to this episode, we truly hope that this helps at least one person that may be struggling or suffering with domestic violence. If you are a listener that is struggling, please reach out to the domestic violence hotline by phone, live chat, or even text. Internet usage can be monitored and it's impossible to erase completely. So if you do feel concerned about going to the website, you can call 1-800-799-SAFE or you can visit thehotline.org or text START to 88788. Hey guys, welcome into another episode, Little Bit of Life podcast right here with your host, Little. I have on an amazing guest with me today. You have seen her on social media. She's bringing light to a situation that happened in her life currently just this year that has changed her entire life forever. And I'm very excited to have on Mariah. How are you doing? I'm so happy to have you on to talk about your story and help so many other people out there. Thank you. I'm I'm doing okay. Um, some days I feel relatively normal, um, especially now that school's back in, just dealing with the normal everyday mom stress, you know, getting kids up and ready for school and um, them coming home, just being so hyperactive. And, you know, it's kind of a nice change of pace. Like everyone's just, we're trying to get back on a schedule and um, that's the stress mm-hmm. I don't mind dealing with. And then there's like the added stress of having like anxiety and PTSD and um, dealing with all of the aftermath of what happened to us. Um, You know, some days I literally feel like I'm just crawling through them because it's, it's too much, but you know, I just try to focus on the good days. And I tell myself like, I've rarely had, two bad days in a row where I just didn't want to get out of bed. Um, And I have my babies that are so, it's hard not to know how blessed I am because, you know, they are still here with me and I try to really focus on that. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. For those that may be listening and not sure what happened, let's go back to that date that changed your life forever. Uh, We have you on to talk about domestic violence, not only talking about the scenario that happened, but what life looks like for recovery after. Because once you're out of that situation and you're out of the trauma, it still lives with you, like you said, with PTSD every single day. It's something that you will live with for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. So um, on April 10th of this year, it's been four and a half months, um, my ex-husband, who I had We finalized our divorce in December of 2022. So we'd been divorced for five months. Um, We were in a position where we were trying to work on a co-parenting relationship, which for him, it was, you know, he still wanted to be together. He still wanted that control. And that's pretty typical when you're trying to co-parent with a narcissist. It's, it's so difficult nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. So I was really trying to be intentional on, you know, gently co-parenting with him, gently telling him like, 
I don't want to be together. Um, we need to find a way to make this work. So we were in a position where things were pretty cordial. And um, so let me back up to the day before our attack. It was Easter Sunday. He had my girls and he ended up dropping flowers off at my house and two little Easter eggs that my girls had painted for me and a card basically saying like Easter is a representation of like new beginnings and forgiveness. And, um, you know, he's like, let's let this be our fresh start. And I told him, I sent him a text. It was like, hey, I really appreciate the flowers. They're beautiful. However, like, this is not going to be a fresh start for us. Um, you know, I just kind of, I made sure he knew what my intentions were. I never wanted him to feel like I was leading him on or, you know, anything like that, because that can be really dangerous. Playing with people's emotions, especially people like that. A slippery slope so mm -hmm. you know I just I reminded him that that's where we were and then the next day he dropped our girls off at preschool and um, I went to work picked my kids up from school normal day he had texted me that morning actually sending me like a, a funny Easter meme um, it was like a bunny who bit the other bunny's ear off and he was like oh I can't hear you know just like a he didn't say anything he just sent it and He's kind of, he was a very dry kind of guy. Like he didn't have a great sense of humor. Um, so I was kind of appreciating the fact that he was trying. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. You know, I love mm -hmm. your humor. Um, so I was nice about it. He didn't say anything after that. And then once I picked the girls up from school, um, Willow, my, or our 11 month old, we had Willow. And then we had Rosalie. Rosalie is, she'll actually be three tomorrow. Uh, Willow was at a point where she was starting to walk. And we were so close to her first birthday. All of this happened on a Monday. Her first birthday would have been Thursday. So we were three days away. And so I FaceTimed him because, again, I wanted him to be a part of it. Like, even though we're co-parenting, we're no longer married. Like, I want to make this as normal, if you will, um, as possible. So I FaceTime him. I'm like, look, she's walking. You know, she's taking a few steps. And he was excited. And he's like, oh, that's wonderful. And, you know, no big deal. It was a uneventful conversation. Uh, if I had to guess, that would have been around 4 p.m. Mm -hmm. And so we got off the phone. I put my phone down because as a single parent of four children, you get busy. And yeah. so I'm doing homework and I'm playing with them. And we're just enjoying each other's company. And I hadn't seen them all weekend. So I, you know, I missed the girls and I was just soaking them in. and. Um, I guess he had sent me a few text messages and he like called me, left a voicemail and then texted right after. So it was kind of like blowing my phone up in a way. Um, nothing significant. And I didn't even see it honestly until 
when the police gave me back my phone after everything happened. But he had, all he said was that he had a question and to call him back. And I didn't respond because I didn't see it. And so it was about 6.30 p.m. at this point. And I'm cleaning up after the kids. Willow had pulled every single book off of our bookshelf. So I'm just like picking up and then the doorbell rings. And I'm like, that's weird, but okay. So I get up to go see who it is and it's him. And he would regularly, like stalking was a big issue in my relationship. Sometimes he would pass by my house 20 times a day. And I only lived two minutes from him. He did that on purpose. He wanted easy access to me. Um, he said it was about the kids, but it was never about the kids. It was always, you know, he wanted that access to me. And so I, he would regularly just drop in to see the kids or whatever. Um, I thought that's what he was doing. So I let him right in. I was like, Hey, what's going on? Come on in. And then he greeted the girls and I went back to what I was doing. I kneeled down on the floor in front of our bookshelf and I was picking the books up and probably a minute or two passes. And I feel on my right side, I feel a presence like he was standing there staring at me. And so I just kind of, I casually look up because I'm like, what is he doing? And as soon as I did, you know, I, my eyes went up to his face first. And then I realized that there was something in my face, like he was holding something and I look over and it's a gun. And he tells me, go get in the car. And I was like thinking he was joking because prior to this, something that's kind of I don't know if it's unique or whatever you want to call it. Something interesting is prior to this day, he had never physically harmed me. He had restrained me or like, you know, blocked me in a room, uh, blocked my car in places. He never punched me, slapped me, nothing. Like his hands did not touch me. Um, so it was a lot of emotional abuse. Uh, financial abuse, just everything you can think of other than physical abuse. And so knowing that he wasn't particularly violent, I thought it was just a joke. And so I was like, well, what are you doing? And I even laughed because I'm like, what are you doing with a, a fake gun? Like, mm -hmm. it's a horrible joke, but, you know, joke nonetheless. And so then he was like, get up, Mariah, get up, go get in the fucking car. And so I stood up realizing like, this is, this is serious. He's not joking. And so I could smell alcohol on his breath, but he wasn't slurring his speech. He wasn't like uh, walking straight, like his stature was normal and so I told him I was like look I can tell you've been drinking like I can smell it on your breath let's let's talk about this 
we don't have to do this. And he's like, no, you want to act like a whore? You're not going to fucking make it this time. I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to, I'm going to kill every single one of the kids. And it was weird because he said your kids, like they were mine. Like they didn't belong to him also. He disconnected. He disconnected. Um, And I always kind of knew like in having children with him, I knew that he did not have children with me just to have, like, because he wanted children. He used them as a form of control. Um, I mean, he told me prior to me getting pregnant with Willow, uh, because I have two children from a previous marriage. And he was like, I'm going to get you pregnant again, because then you'll have two with me, and then you'll have to do whatever I say. You know, so it wasn't like he, he didn't care about those kids at all. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, he had the gun in my face telling me he's going to kill all of my kids. And so obviously I was like, no, I'm not going with you. And then so he starts to hit me. And I go to try to get the gun from him. He starts hitting me with the gun. He starts hitting me with his knees. Uh, punching me in the face, just beating the hell out of me. And so we kind of go through this for a minute where I'm struggling to try to get the gun away from him. And it's so strange how you can still think clearly in moments like this. You would think that it'd be all adrenaline and you're just like, whatever. But like the clarity that I had was, it was surprising. Um, so while this is happening, I'm making mental notes of like what the gun looks like and what he's wearing and, you know, just all these little details. And I noticed that it's a revolver and it held six bullets. And so I'm trying to come up with like an escape plan. I'm trying to come up with a way to keep my kids safe. And I'm like, what do I have to do to keep them safe? So, um, you know, I pick up, I had like, I had a Roomba and it was on the floor. So I pick it up and I hit him over the head with it because I tried to like scratch his eyes out. Cause like in movies, you see that it doesn't, it didn't work at all. Mm-hmm. He was unfazed. Mm-hmm. I bit him unfazed. Uh, everything I tried to do didn't bother him. So I looked for a weapon and it just happened to be my Roomba, hit him with it. And that allowed me to run to my front door, unlock it and run outside to try to get help. And so I'm running, screaming at the top of my lungs down the street. You know, I go across the street first, bang on the neighbor's door. And I'm screaming, my husband is going to kill me and my kids. Someone help. Um, And as I'm trying to run down, because my neighbors weren't answering, I'm trying to run to the next house. He's standing in my front yard and he shoots me from across the road. And it hits my, like my outer hip thigh area and so I just kind of it felt like a graze wound honestly like it was really hot it felt like being cut and so I put my hands on it and I looked for blood to see like oh how bad is it and there was no blood it was just like some other clear fluid so I'm like okay I'm fine I'm still you know I'm gonna run and get help I just kind of grab my leg and I keep running, keep screaming. And uh, the scariest part or, you know, of that particular moment was the look in his eyes, like his face 
again, it's like everything's in slow motion, so you have time to like really pay attention to details, um, some details. I look at his face and it's just, it's like he wasn't even there. His eyes are black, his face is just cold. Um, and it's just like you would see in one of those like serial killer movies where the bad guy's just walking and the other person's running, but somehow he's still keeping up. It was exactly like that. And he's just following me, but not running. Um, and so I see someone hiding behind their car and she tells me, I called 911, I'm on the phone with them, you're gonna be okay. And then they're, you know, I look back to see kind of where he's at. I know at this point, okay, the police are coming. And he turns to go back into the house. He doesn't go, I don't know if he tried to go through the front door because my son, my 11 year old son had locked it. Um, but I see him going to the side of the house because I have a sliding glass door. Um, so I was like, I need to get back in that house because he's going after the kids. And so I'm banging on the front door telling my son, it's me, let me in. And I go in and I tell him to take the girls and go hide. And so he does. My ex-husband comes through the back sliding glass door just as I knew he was going to, which was unlocked. So it was pretty easy for him to get in. Um, and he asks me, you know, where the fuck are the kids? Where is Braylon? My oldest son is Braylon. My eight-year-old is Copeland. Uh, he's like, where the fuck is Braylon? Where's Copeland? I'm going to kill them. Where are, where are they? Take me to them. And just calling them out by name. And um, it, it, it was just so, he just didn't care. Like, there wasn't a human being in that body. And he made me go room to room searching for them. And I knew where they were. I had, my eight-year-old had been taking a shower, so he was hiding in the bathroom. And then my oldest son was with the girls on the other side of the house. So I'm walking down the hallway where most of the bedrooms are and where my eight-year-old son is at in the bathroom. And I, I went to all the bedrooms and then he, you know, next was the bathroom. We were going to look in there. And so I'm stalling and I sit on my son's bed and I start crying and I'm begging him, please stop. Like, please don't do this. Um, I won't tell anyone that you shot me. Like, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need to go see a doctor. Like, I'm not going to tell anyone. Just let me go. Um, you don't have to do this. It's not too late to turn around now. Like, you know, I'm not even mad. And he was still just like, where are they? And so I lied to him. And I told him that my eight-year-old wasn't home, that he went to his friend's house. And that I didn't know where Braylon was. And so I guess at this point, my two-year-old had heard all of the yelling. And so she's in the hallway, right in front of the doorway, watching him. She's backed up against a closet door, watching him beat me. And she's screaming for me. And I could see the fear in her eyes. And I just told him, I said, look at what you're doing to her. Do you want this to be what she remembers? And he grabs me by my hair, 
and led me out of the room and told me to bring him to Braylon. And so I stopped by the kitchen and it's kind of like, you know, hallway, living room, kitchen, and then the bedroom where my sons are at. So I'm in the kitchen. Again, I lean over and I tell him, like, I'm tired. I can't do this. Um, you know, let's just stop. Please let me go. And I did that because I knew I had a, a knife block within reach. And so I thought maybe if if I could grab a knife that I could get him away from me. And so I did. I grabbed a knife and I went to swing it at him. And he ended up grabbing it. And so he's swinging a knife at me, trying to stab me with the knife, also trying to shoot me with a gun. So I've got one hand grabbing the blade of the knife. The other hand, I've got the barrel of the gun. And um, at this point, I don't know where my daughter went. She may have still been in the hallway. I just, you know, I was like in fight mode at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. And then he shot me again and I was shot in the abdomen this time. And at that point, like I knew that I was injured. And so I was just trying to get him away from the kitchen and I start counting down. I knew in the beginning he had six bullets. Well, now he has four. And so I made the decision. I need him to shoot me four more times so he cannot shoot my kids. Mm -hmm. And so I fought him all the way into like my main living room area, right near that sliding glass door. Um, because I wanted, I wanted to be able to crawl out into the street to get help. And I'm going over in my head, like, where are my vital organs? Where can I let him shoot me so it will not be fatal? And so I grabbed the barrel of the gun and I pointed at my pelvis. And at that moment, I wasn't wasn't thinking about how I was about to get shot four more times or whatever. Um, I was like, I'm never going to be able to have another baby because I'm about to let this man shoot me. And, you know, I, I love being a mom. Being a mom is my greatest accomplishment. I love those kids. And so that's what I was worried about, that I wouldn't be able to ever have another one. I wouldn't ever be able to bring home a newborn. Um, But I held the barrel of that gun and he continued to fire. I'm on my knees, down on the floor, and he shoots me and shoots me. And then my 11-year-old son, who is such a badass, like an absolute hero. Um, he jumps on his back to try to get him off of me. He jumps on a man with a who has a gun shooting his mom, jumps on his back to try to save me. And of course, wow. I'm mad as hell at him because I'm like, you dummy, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. you should be out of this house. I'm getting shot for you, <laughs> you know? And... I mean, it wasn't funny then, but now it's like, God, what, what an incredible kid. Mm-hmm. 
And so then I yell at him and I'm like, get out of here, go call 911, go hide. Um, and then at that point I'm distracted. So my ex was able to pull the gun up and as my son's running away back to where he was hiding, um, I get shot in the face. And I guess one of the bullets, he shot all six times. Um, one of them somehow missed me and broke the window behind him. But the one I got shot in the cheek, like basically where my cheekbone is, it went through my sinus, through the my soft palate, um, and then through the other side of my throat and came out my neck and missed my carotid artery by millimeters. Like there was so much blood. I was swallowing blood. I was inhaling blood. I was coughing blood out. Like I thought he blew my face apart. So I'm just trying to take my hands and just put them wherever the pain was, which was everywhere. Um, trying to hold my face together. And I was biting something like a piece of tissue. I was biting with my back teeth. So I'm thinking like my face got blown in. Now I know it was my console that ended up getting torn off from the impact. But um, I just, I knew at that moment I was going to die. That this man had just killed me. And that I would never wake up again, but that I needed to stay alive long enough to let someone know that my kids were still inside and they were still alive. Mm -hmm. And so I used every bit of strength that I had to crawl out into my driveway onto the sidewalk. And as I'm doing it, um, I see my eight-year-old hanging out of the bathroom window that is broken because uh, he had to break it with a plunger. And he asks me, Mama, is it safe? And so I couldn't, I couldn't speak. So I'm just waving him on and he runs. So I know he's okay. He's safe. Um, and things are starting to get really blurry for me. Like I'm starting like I felt like I was going to pass out from all the blood loss, but I just, I laid on the floor or on the sidewalk. I got on my hands or my elbows and my knees and put my forehead on the ground. So I was leaned forward. So the blood would just kind of come out. So that way I could breathe. And I don't know how long I was laying there like that. At one point it got, I got really tired and couldn't, keep myself up anymore so I laid on my side and I kept my eyes closed because I was having a hard time staying awake and that's when the first police officer got there and they knew that it was a shooting in progress they didn't know how many people were involved they only sent one ambulance initially um, but the ambulance hadn't gotten there yet and she's putting pressure on my wounds, asking me what happened. And so I tell her who it was, his date of birth, his address, his phone number, everything I could think of. I gave them my social security number. I don't even know why they needed it. Um, mm -hmm. And I told them it was a lady officer. And I told her, look, 
I'm dying. I am going to die. My kids are in that house and I need you to go save them. I don't care about me. I need you to go get my kids. And she would not leave me because I was clearly in critical condition. Um, and I just continued to beg her to go get my kids. And I just, at that point, I, I was okay with dying. It was worth it to me because he came into that house with every intention on killing five people. And if I was the one who had to die, then, you know, at least I saved them. What I didn't know was that after he did what he did to me, he went back inside that house. And the knife that I had tried to protect myself with, that I had grabbed from him and thrown across the floor to just get it away, um, he had picked it up and he got my two daughters and he laid them down next to each other in the hallway. Or from what my two-year-old says, he pushed them down. And he attacked my two-year-old first. And then he attacked my 11-month-old. Because he ran out of bullets. And he essentially... Sorry, this is the hard part. He essentially did autopsies on my babies while they were alive. While they laid next to each other. And he left them there. He left them there to bleed out. And she had my two-year-old, Rosalie, had to watch him do that to her little sister. And sometimes because she's two and she likes to mimic sounds. Um, like when our dogs, we have two little pugs. Um, when they bark, she'll say, oh yeah, Bella was saying, whoop, whoop, you know, whatever, just, just mimicking. Um, sometimes she'll talk about her sister and she'll say, mommy, she was screaming like this. And then she'll make noises. And she remembers every single thing. This is so hard to talk about what happened to them because I tried. I did everything I could. And somehow they still ended up getting hurt by the one person who was supposed to protect them. And um, so when they found the girls, Actually, one of my neighbors found them. They were laying next to each other in, like, the child's pose. So their backs were up, and um, their intestines were on the floor in my hallway. And uh, by the time the paramedics got there, they were already turning blue. And they lost so much blood. And, um... They were able to, they put them in separate ambulances and brought them to the hospital. And they both had life-saving surgeries. Um, 
poor little Willow. She, um, she survived her first surgery, but he had severed an artery and a vein in her pelvis, and he had also stabbed her kidney. And, um, she, her injuries were just too extensive, and she ended up six hours. She suffered for six hours after he did this to her. And then she finally went into cardiac arrest. And she was next to her sister every single moment. They had them in the OR next to each other. They had them in recovery next to each other. So she was never alone. But I never had the chance to be there with my baby in her last moments because I, too, was in critical condition. And so my daughter stayed in a freezer for two weeks until I could get her sent to the funeral home until I was out of the hospital to handle planning her funeral. Um, Rosalie had two surgeries. He, he detached her intestines in four different places. She had 18 different perforations throughout her uh, small intestine and her large intestine. Just the, the damage that he did to those children throughout my entire, you know, healing process or whatever you want to call it that I've been going through the last four and a half months. Like, what was done to me is God awful. But trying to understand what happened to my daughters. That is the most painful part. Um, and then my sons, my poor sons, everything they saw, he tried to murder them too. And I'm realizing through this process how messed up the justice system is for the victims. Like it's absolutely built around the abusers, the criminals. That's who they are protecting. Uh, I just, I just don't understand. Like, we have to go through all these little court hearings and wait at least a year, over a year, actually, because they're thinking trial won't even begin until next summer. Mm -hmm. If that, I mean, it could be postponed who knows how many times. So I have to continue to be traumatized by this man. My children have to continue to be traumatized. Like we can't even end this chapter and move on because we know it's only a matter of time before it has to reopen. And then I get to sit there on stand in the same room as him and tell him what he did to us. It's, it's disgusting. And it's being strong when you do leave, because so often they see that you're vulnerable. They see that you don't have a lot of the tools that are necessary. So they will step in. And like you said, that's when the love bombing and the gaslighting starts to come in of you need me. I have this available. It doesn't have to be this hard for you. So many, especially in you know law enforcement, they state just get a protective order. That's a piece of paper. And especially so many domestic violence victims, men and women that have protective orders. It's a piece of paper that when something happens, it's too late. You have to, like in your situation, you're waiting for help. 
for however long that the emergency response team takes to get there. It is just a piece of paper. And most often when you do file the protective order, it's something that just almost kind of excels and, you know, really fast tracks their frustration, their anger, because it's showing that you have a way to get out, that you're putting boundaries in place. And that's when leaving starts to become dangerous. And that, like you said, it's leaving is very hard, but it's always the after of what your life looks like that's going to be the hardest. So I appreciate you coming on today and telling your story. I think that you and your children are so amazing and incredible. And again, thank you for being vulnerable because it just reopens that wound. Um, We'll be following your story, especially through everything that you post. And I wish you the best and your children in this healing journey. It will take a lifetime, but it sounds like you guys are just stronger together. And I think that's truly incredible. He never broke that bond. That's a wrap already on today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for spending your time right here with me. And a very special thank you to today's sponsor. We are stronger together, louder as one, and truly a family connected. Be sure to leave a review to bring others along this journey with us. Tune in weekly on your favorite streaming platform. Or if you're interested in being a guest, send me a message today. Let's get to talking. Until next time, be good to others, be good to you. See you next week.